a great lesson learned for me to on future projects, even though I thought I had a lot of experience. When you're buying something that's 100 and, oh man, almost 150 years old, you really, really need to take an expert in there with you. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's us today? Logan Freeman. How you doing, Logan? Man, phenomenal. Energized, thriving, and focused today. Wow. All right. Then I need to step up my game because you're going to bring it, clearly. I'm going to bring it. (laughs) So a little bit about Logan. He's a real estate investor, developer, and agent. He's completed over 120 transactions in less than one year. Ex-NFL football player for the Raiders, based in Kansas City, Missouri. What positions do you play? I was an offensive lineman. So I went out as a center, and I ended up playing a little bit of guard. So I've lost 100 pounds since then, Joe. Nice. And where'd you go to college? University of Central Missouri. It's just east of Kansas City, a Division II school. Well, congrats on getting it to the league from a D2 school. What an accomplishment. Well, thank you. It wasn't from being very talented. It was a lot of hard work and a lot of work ethic, but uh, it was a great experience for me. It really was. So if you can give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your real estate background, just how you got to this point, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. So after college, like you said, I was picked up as an undrafted free agent for the Raiders. I was out there for a few months, not there very long. But after I was cut from the Raiders, I had to kind of look at my life and kind of reinvent myself. I'd identified as an athlete my whole life. So I said, well, what do I want to do? And so I really started studying and trying to figure out where I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And I got into sales I worked at a startup company, worked at a larger organization. About 24 months ago, I was actually fired from that larger, quote unquote, comfortable and what I'll say safe, what I thought was safe organization here in Kansas City. 
So I was fired. I had some great mentorship and leadership from my wife. She started an LLC for me. I started a very small consulting company and I got into real estate full time. And like we spoke a little bit all here, William Robinson, who is my real estate mentor and business partner, took me under his wing and I came in as a, a director of head acquisitions for his firm. And I'm no longer with those guys, but I learned a lot and I got to complete a lot of transactions by representing a $40 million fund here in Kansas City. Wow. You were fired from the job. Why'd you get fired? Well, the company brought on a private equity firm. I was one of the younger, more expensive salespeople, and they came on to try to, what I'll call, trim the fat a little bit, and apparently I was the fat. So <laughs> I got let go along with about six other individuals, and six months later, they actually let the whole sales team go. So I was ahead of the game, which was actually in my favor, and I was kind of working towards getting into real estate anyways full-time, so I was already halfway to getting my license at that point. All right. You've completed over 100 transactions in less than one year. Is that since you've left the first real estate company you were at? Yeah. When I was working with William here in Kansas City, in about nine or 10 months, we did about 120 transactions. And the bulk of those were for our fund that we represented here in Kansas City. But I built my buyers list to over about 130 individuals from out-of-state clients just off of bigger pockets, networking, and LinkedIn. Well, a little bit less than half of those transactions came from other clients as well. And that was all of last year. So I haven't been doing that since then. Okay. And what are you doing now to make money? So in September of last year, I kind of looked back at the year that we had had. I had walked over 650 single family homes and small multifamily properties, unwrote all of those and made offers on about 450 of those. And I was watching the margins continually to see it thinner and thinner and thinner. So I couldn't just honestly continue to make offers for my clients. I just didn't feel like the margins were there. So in September, I started to dive into real estate syndication and larger, what I'll call larger asset classes. So I flew down to a few events. I bought a bunch of books. I really started to educate myself. One of your book is on the shelf. I'm looking at it right here. And I said, you know what? I hired a mentor as well, Michael Blanc. I'm sure you've met Michael before. Yep. And I decided that I was going to go syndicate multifamily apartment complexes in Kansas City. Well, my naivety didn't lend to me not knowing that a lot of other people were already doing that. And <laughs> you really had to find a good project to actually syndicate and make sense. So I didn't stop though. I continued to hustle and really network my tail off. And we completed a couple transactions on the syndication side that was successful on that piece. But right now, what I do on a regular basis is I'm a broker here in Kansas City on commercial and multifamily properties. So I work on transactions above $750,000. And for your listeners in Kansas City, yes, you can get quite a bit for that still. You can get <laughs> probably 10 to 15 units for that in Kansas City. So I do that. I'm the general partner on about four or five projects a year here in Kansas City. So that might be a commercial mixed-use development. It could be a multifamily property, and it might be actually in the hospitality space as well. And then the third part of it is I, through this whole process, have made, I've been blessed to meet some very, very awesome individuals in the private equity and family office space. So I co-GP with other sponsors and help them with their capital stacks on the debt and equity side. So that's what I do on a regular basis right now. You're a jack of all trades. 
a little bit. I try not to be Joe because I don't want to chase too many rabbits. But with that being said, a lot of the things that I do have a lot of great parallels to them. Yeah. You know, so they can kind of play off of each other a bit. I could see that. I want to focus the conversation on what you're doing now, but I do have a follow-up question whenever you are looking at 650 homes and made offers on about sure. 450 yeah. of them. When you make that many offers, 450 of them, I imagine you have a pretty refined process. What would you say your offer, when you make it, has in it in terms of language or clauses or, or your approach that someone who only makes a couple offers a year doesn't have in it? That's a great question. And one would be actual terms. So the price is the price. And we never really moved on our price, but we offered incredible terms for sellers. So we were really solving the pain points of closing these properties fast and not doing traditional inspections. When William was taking me through the houses and I was learning this process, he showed me, because he's been in over 10,000 homes, he showed me exactly what I needed to look for. And yes, did I miss some things at the beginning? Sure. But we were very diligent on not making offers on any properties that we hadn't seen before for our clients. And then also walking those properties and estimating those rehabs. So I would say that the track record that William had in the city, we could show proof of funds of the money in an account. And then I never just had an offer that I would send off to a listing agent. I would call the listing agent. I would tell them what the terms were going to be. Here's why we're making the offer where we are. And I would try to build some sort of rapport with that listing agent. What I learned through this process of making all those offers is that those listing agents actually have a lot more pull than anything else in the transaction. Yes, there's still terms and price, but that seller is really, really listening to that listing agent. And so if you can somehow position or find out a piece of information, we could tweak our offer to make them a little more attractive people because we do have a competitive landscape in that asset. And what's an example of when you speak to the listing agent that you hear something so you tweak the terms? This is a great example would, would be that we were working with a client and they were looking to acquire property. They didn't really have a time frame. They weren't needing to place any money or anything. So they were patient, which was great, which gave us some options. So the seller, they had accepted an offer or were getting close to accept an offer, but they hadn't identified their next property quite yet. And I said, well, that's not a problem. Maybe we can talk to the buyer and see if we can do a sale lease back for a certain amount of time. So that closed the deal. We gave the seller the option to stay for 90 days after the close of the property at fair market rent values. And we took ownership 30 days later because they found another house. So just being flexible on a term like that really can kind of help you stand your offer apart from others. Absolutely. And you mentioned that you'd walk the units with your mentor at the time and he educated you on what to look for. What do you look for when you walk the property? When we were walking properties, we would always start on the outside. And this is probably odd for a lot of the listeners, but landscaping can really, really start to add up when you have to trim trees here in Kansas City. And trees can get really expensive because we have a lot of snow in our metro area. And when that snow is on those limbs, things start falling. And when you're a property owner, you don't want them falling on people or they're being like their cars. So we would start on the outside of the home. We would look at fence lines. We would look at how the property was sitting on the actual parcel itself, where the water was going to be running to or running from. Was there enough grade coming from the foundation that was going to keep the water away from it? Because we have basements here in Missouri and 
foundations are a big, big issue. Then I could look at a roof and tell you if they're bubbling or if it looked like maybe the roof had three or four layers of shingles, which is actually illegal. So I was looking at roofs. I was looking at windows, conditioning units on the air conditioners, looking at foundations. William taught me how to look at a foundation and be able to kind of actually use my fingers on where the foundation and the siding come together. And you could kind of actually do a little trick to be able to see if a foundation has shifted over the years. So really we were looking at How do you do that? There's two parts. There's the actual foundation of the home, and then there's the walls that are kind of sitting on top of that foundation. Well, on the houses here in Kansas City, there a lot of them are brick. So where the brick starts, you can kind of put your finger underneath that brick, and you start on the middle. Maybe say you have one finger that you can put underneath that brick and that foundation. Okay, great. Go out to the sides. If that has moved to two or three fingers, you know that there has been some shifting on that foundation. And that top layer of the house, and I'm not a construction guy by any means, but what I can do is do a test like that because William made it really simple for me. Then I would go inside and then you can actually look at a few things on the inside too. Maybe there's some boards in the basement and they've had to re-nail them or actually drill more screws into them because they're pulling off of the foundation. Well, that's because they move over the years. So that was one test that we did on the foundational piece. And then going inside, really you have to estimate your flooring, your paint, your appliances, your granite, your cabinets, all of those things. So that was really not really big ticket items. The big ticket items are your roof, your foundations, the exterior landscaping. If you have to paint the property as well, that can kind of add up too. So we had just a checklist we made it really easy, had a checklist that we would go through. And yes, it was monotonous. Yes, it took a lot of my time. And by the end of it, I thought it was silly for me to be doing that checklist, but it was important because we had a whole lot less misses on the rehab estimates when we would go to actually do the repairs on the property than we did if we just were taking notes by hand. Great stuff. Thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about, you said you did a couple on the syndication side using your words. What deals did you syndicate and what was your specific role? So my specific role has always been on finding the property and then finding the equity for the properties. So a previous guest, Paul Nagoka, was on your show a few, I don't know how many back you do this daily, so it's been a lot (laughs) back, far back. But the two syndications that we did complete were bed and breakfast hotels. So I don't really want to talk about, I guess, the same thing that he probably talked about. What I'd like to maybe talk about is how I've done a couple of joint ventures with my clients instead on a few properties, if that's okay, Joe. Yeah, sure. Just real quick though, and then we'll talk about the joint ventures. So best of listeners, you want to hear the details of these deals. Sounds like you can listen to the interview I did with Paul. How do you spell his last name? N-A-G-A-O-K-A, Paul Nagoka. All right, cool. So you search Paul Nagoka and Joe Fairless. I'm sure that interview will come up. So did you find those hotels and then you found the equity for them? That was when I was searching and underwriting all this multifamily property in Kansas City. Well, I know the city really well, and I have a weird hotel and restaurant management background. I started sweeping floors and doing dishes in hotels and restaurants when I was 14 years old. So I actually have an undergrad in that. So somebody sent this property to me and said, Logan, you might just take a look at this. I know you've been working really hard to find a property to purchase, and you've got some good equity behind you. Why don't you take a look at this and see if you can make sense? So, okay, great. So it was on the Kansas City Plaza, which is a great 
dining and entertainment district here. The real estate alone is worth, I feel like what we put it under contract for, not the business. So we found that property sent to me from just a broker friend who was a residential guy. And he obviously was doing his marketing to try to get rid of it. I requested some financials, started to look through them. They looked very similar to multifamily financials from the standpoint of looking at the T12s and operating data. There were a few different things in there, which you have to kind of unpack, which is different types of tax or occupancy or the cyclical nature of the shorter term rentals that I had to kind of wrap my head around. But I own some other Airbnbs here in the city. So I took that data to my current manager and we worked through that and I felt really, really good about it. So I was able to think about this holistically. And then I found the right partners that I felt like could be the operational team for this project, because I'm not going to live in a bed and breakfast hotel and be the operator. I can't do that. So a lot of people that have passed on this project said the same thing. Well, I said, well, ding, 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 that's an opportunity for me to solve the problem. So I started networking and asking people who might be able to do this. And I found the right partners to actually come into the project with me on the general partner side, and then also figure out the operational piece. So now the brokerage and the partners that I work with, we actually manage these two boutique bed and breakfast hotels in-house and we're actively going to work on acquiring our third one. So I played the role on a lot of things up front because this was my first project that I was really trying to put together from a syndication standpoint. So I ran the traps down on the operational expenses. I thought that it really was going to yield really well. And then I tried to really present it in a way to the right partners that this isn't going to be as tough to manage as you think it is. You already have a portfolio of a thousand units. We can utilize some of the same resources and so on and so on. And so this is the deal that kind of put me on the map in Kansas City for the syndication piece. And then I also raised all of the equity for it as well. So let's talk about the joint venture project. Okay. So joint venture project that I'm really excited about, still going through it right now. But you haven't closed actually, on it? You know, it's closed. It's closed. Okay. We're, just right, cool. renovating. We're just renovating it. Yeah. <laughs> We're just renovating it. Unfortunately, it's uh, renovation is taking a lot longer than I put on my pro forma. But this project I found off market through my consulting company. One of my clients was buying product from this building. And he said, Logan, this building is awesome. He told me where it was. I went and toured it. I sat down with, her name was Judy. She's over 85 years old, not in the best health. Their family had owned property for close to 70 years. It was built in 1888. We're in this property that's in the crossroads in Kansas City. We're seeing this big resurgence of commercial multifamily kind of redevelopment, I'll call. So I talked to her. I had an investor who was just looking to purchase something in Kansas City on the multifamily side. But I was reading a book at the time, and I think it was Matt Faircloth's book. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was learning about the syndication and how to structure a project. And I was reading out of this book and I said, hey, Lucas, do you think that if we structured this project 80% to you, 20% to me, do an 8% preferred return and da-da-da-da-da, I went down the line, I was reading out of this book, I said, <laughs> do you think that would make sense for you? And he kind of looked at it and he goes, yeah, I think we could do that. I need some boots on the ground. You're putting in a lot of sweat equity. I need to run these other things down. So for six months, I negotiated this million dollar transaction. That what is it? You said an off-market building, but I'm not sure what it is. It's a 12,000 square foot commercial building in okay. one of the hottest areas of Kansas City. And it it's has like three levels. Or? Yeah, it was old belting and supply company building. So it was just a big kind of warehouse that we're doing okay. a, a total reposition on. All right, cool. So 
I was able to figure out the highest and best use of it. I am a commercial broker, so I can figure out the leasing part of it. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of good connections on the construction side. So we're building two Airbnbs upstairs that are going to sleep eight to 12 people. And there's about 10 wedding venues in walking distance and weddings in Kansas city have blown up and I call it funny money. And when there's weddings involved, (laughs) And you can solve a problem for maybe the brides are in the bride's bridal party is going to stay on one side. The grooms are going to stay on one side and they can all get picked up in the same bus right out front. And it's in the hot area. And then they can just drive around and take all their pictures. So there's nothing in that area that serves that many people. And then I have 6,400 square feet of commercial space that I'm looking out right now. So that was one way that I did a joint venture with one of my buyer clients and turned them into a joint venture with little to no money into it on my end. What's the 6,400 square feet going to be used for? Joe, I wish that I had that already (laughs) taken care of. And here's a good nugget for your listeners. If you're doing a commercial project, make sure that you have a tenant in mind with the commercial building. Because I knew we had six months to do this renovation. So I'll find the tenant, but it feels really good to know that you have a tenant in your back pocket ready to put into a building. So if you can ever do it that from that standpoint and buy a building and then try to go find the tenant, it's a lot more fun that way. But we'll find it. I'm, I'm confident. I'm touring the building very regularly right now. How much did you buy the property for? We bought the property for $775,000, mm-hmm. which is right around $75 a square foot. And the one next door to us, so these are a big row building, Joe. So there's just this big line of old buildings that were built in 1888. So we share a party wall and the door or the building next to us is about half our size. So they have the 1600 square foot floor plates and they sold that unoccupied to a user for $265 a square foot. So when I looked at the math, I said, even if I have to put $125 a foot into this property, I still have $65 worth of equity. And I think I can do better than 265 because we're going to be bringing in a lot of income and we're going to have a investment property, not an end user. So anyways, that's what we bought it for, 775. We were estimating about $880,000 in the renovation of that. And I have a call today, actually, to go over our revised budget. That's just under a million dollars. So we're off a little bit. And that's when I get to come out of my pocket and fix the situation because the bank's not going to get us more money. But when you buy a building that was built in 1888, that's sort of to be expected, I guess. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not going to kill the deal, but it's definitely not the juicy tin cap that we thought it was going to be. But we'll still do okay on it. So what are some things, the 100,000-ish things that snuck up on you? Well, one of them was that the whole building actually had to be tuck-pointed. And when we went under contract, it was wintertime, and the building didn't look as bad in shape and shape as we actually thought because, uh, well, there was a lot of coverings on all of the walls, on the interior walls and things. So needless to say, we actually had to rebuild a whole parapet well wall because the wall started to fall down on us on a Sunday. My general contractors know not to call me on Sunday. I don't work on Sundays, but they called me three times in a row and we had to do an emergency shutdown because bricks were falling onto Southwest Boulevard, one of the busiest streets in the city. So I said, okay, yeah, well, I guess we better do something about that. (laughs) So we had to end up tuck pointing the whole building, which was quite a big expense for us. The second piece was that there was extensive termite damage that was not uncovered even though we had a termite inspector come out and they missed it. So it was covered with a lot of stuff and it was 
deep down. So we had to replace a ton of floor joists actually for that piece of it. And then the last part of it is that actually the water supply line coming into the building, since we are changing the use of the building, we have to put a sprinkle system in. Well, the water supply line we have is not quite big enough to support the water supply that's going to be needed for that sprinkler system because we have residential upstairs now. And now we have to shut down Southwest Boulevard in Kansas City, which is a hefty price tag for us to do that. So How much does that uh, cost? those are the three things. I think it's coming in right around $39,000. To shut down a street? Yeah. And then the system itself is another 90000 so we had budgeted about seventy-five for that. So we're over forty-five, fifty thousand dollars on just doing that part of it. Which how you long know, are you shutting the street down for? It's going to be at night, and it's only going to be for legitimately four to six hours. Mm-hmm. But since it's a boulevard in Kansas City, I then have to now work with the Parks and Recreation Department as well as the city. We have to coordinate this whole thing, and it's just this whole mess because. It's a nightlife area. So that part of the boulevard doesn't shut down until 3 a.m. anyways. And yeah. so it's just, they have some calculation that we have to <laughs> abide by. And I was like, really? That's what you think that's going to be? And they said, yeah, I think that's that's what we're going to do. And How said, much is it again to shut it down? It's about $35,000 to shut it down. To shut it down for four hours. Yep. So unfortunately, those are the things that crept up on us and ate up our contingency really quickly. And it's a great lesson learned for me to on future projects, even though I thought I had a lot of experience. When you're buying something that's a hundred and oh man, almost 150 years old, you really, really need to take an expert in there with you. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? You've already given a lot of great advice, by the way, but best real estate investing advice ever. You know, I'm going to say that you need to be quick, but don't hurry. Slow down to go fast. And what I mean by that is just be patient. Real estate is a get rich slow game, not a get rich fast game. If you speed past something, it's going to come back and catch you. So I would say be quick, but don't hurry. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? You bet. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Best ever book you've recently read? Capital Raising by Richard C. Wilson. What's the best ever deal you've done? I'm going to say the best deal that I've done is yet to come. However, I found a commercial mixed-use property for a client in Westport, and I was able to put a tenant in the building during our due diligence phase. He was cash flowing from day one, and I helped him turn one long-term rental into a short-term rental and skyrocketed his net operating for him. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I started a non-for-profit foundation here in Kansas City called Care Kits, KC. And we help the homeless here in Kansas City by packing drawstring bags full of food, water, shelter, things that they need from bus passes and things like that. We do about 3,000 kits a year. We have these big packing parties, and it's really great to see people walking around with our green drawstring bags, and that's how we give back. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? 
you can find me all over the social medias, but the best place is probably my website, which is livefreeinvestments.com. Logan, you gave so many good tips and lessons learned. Very grateful for our conversation from looking at homes and looking for things that could be red flags, fence lines, the grading, the foundation, how to check for foundation, at least in your area, the roof bubbling, etc. And then talking about the joint venture that you have done or in the process of being in and some lessons learned from that where you know, look at the tuck point and the termite damage, which, I mean, come on, termite damage, they should have found that thing, but <laughs> I don't want to pour salt in the open wound. The water supply line, as well as perhaps a best ever listener hasn't come across having to shut down a city street, and maybe they didn't know there would be costs involved. So just talking about that, I think you're the first person in like 1,800 episodes who ever mentioned the cost for shutting down a street for doing work. So you made a record today on this podcast. So congrats to you on that. Thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Really enjoyed our conversation. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.